The coronavirus has eaten my news feed, and probably for good reason. But there are other things going on in agriculture too, like planting. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. We're traveling across the Corn Belt this week from east to west to check on some key issues, including the impact of slaughter plant disruptions and planting progress. We start in the east with Tom Beckman, editor of Indiana Prairie Farmer. In Indiana, two major hog processing facilities are closed and though ordered to reopen by President Trump, questions remain. Tom also shares a planting update and he offers insight on some new corn research he's got underway for 2020. Tom is well known in Indiana for his research plot work. Then it's on to Illinois where Holly Spangler, editor of Prairie Farmer, shares some insight on the meat packing issue, including some thoughts on how it may impact her family operation. We also delve into the impact of coronavirus on rural healthcare facilities, and we get a quick look at the 2020 planting season from her farm. And we wrap up in the West with Tyler Harris, editor of Nebraska Farmer, who shares insights on a state that's starting to reopen, but the effort is hampered by certain areas that have become centers for coronavirus infections. He also shares some insight on how planting is going, and compared to 2019, 2020 is shaping up to be completely different and drier. First up, let's visit with Tom Beckman, Indiana Prairie Farmer. Well, Tom, good to catch up with you again out in Indiana. We've got a couple of big things going on your way. Um, Maybe we should start with the not so good news and then we can get maybe discuss planting after that. Um, Start me off with what's going on in Indiana. I think Indiana is indicative of, of stuff going on and it's hot news now that the president has issued his order to open meat plants. What's going on out where you are? Well, we've got two major um, uh, slaughtering processing facilities, one at Logansport, one at Delphi in north central Indiana. And um, the Tyson plant at Logansport closed last, I believe it was last Wednesday. Um, They, at that point, had like 146 workers out with COVID. But they did tests, and over the weekend, they went like, um, I'm not sure the exact number, but several hundred end up showing they uh, tested positive. And Cass County, uh, where Lo- Logan Sports located, went from they didn't have that many cases, and all of a sudden, as of I think Monday, uh, they went jumped past Marion County, where Indianapolis is, to become the most cases in Indiana, all because of the, really this plant. I believe they had like 900 workers, maybe, with still some to be tested. Delphi closed as well. Not, um, they were, they're both hoping to be open within two weeks. I do know the, um, I a good authority that uh, Brett Marsh with the Indiana Board of Animal Health was working with them early this week to try to get them back online. I, I don't know how this, you know, order is going to, how they're going to be able to carry that out. Um, I don't know any of the details because with that many workers being sick, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But it's it's a big deal because I know there's 250, take Logansport, 250 farmers supply the, the hogs for the Logansport plant. And they get hogs from nine states, but the vast majority are, are from Indiana. And I do know like at the Delphi plant, um, I know one producer, he can temporarily send a few to a smaller plant somewhere else, but if they don't get these plants going, then the farmers are really uh, don't have anywhere to go with the pigs, and a lot of them are such that they don't have anywhere to go when the system bogs down because there's pigs waiting for those spaces that are 
once the, the market hogs are shipped out. Right. I think that a lot of people don't. I mean, we understand now because we're hearing more about it than we ever did. But a couple of issues. One, um, when they open back up, they won't maybe be at full capacity or it'll be slowed down. Two, the animals keep growing and they keep getting bigger. And once a sow or a pig passes like 320 pounds, they can't go through the plant. They're too big um, for the equipment. They can't be hung or anything. So those kinds of things are weighing in on this. So we are looking at some euthanasia challenges, which I think is just devastating for farmers. Um, and I don't know how this is going to work out. Tom, you've been kind of talking to folks at Purdue a little bit about all of this and some other issues regarding coronavirus. What what are you picking up from them and what are you learning? Well, Jason Lusk, who's the head of the Purdue Ag Economics Department, but he's also his specialty is in food marketing. A week ago, Monday, uh, they did a webinar, and at that point, the plant in South Dakota was closed. Um, and he said we could stand one or two more, but three or four more, and we would get be having trouble. Well, that's happened. Maybe more than that. Fifteen, uh, fifth, the fifteen largest processing plants for hogs uh, slaughtered almost sixty percent of the nation's pork. That's the issue. And at least four of those, and I think maybe more at this moment, are offline. So prices have wholesale prices haven't went up a lot yet, but he expects them to. I was at a grocery store a couple of days ago, and uh, still decent supply of pork, and the prices hadn't went up yet, but that's probably going to change. That's the consumer side. You've talked about what it does on the farmer side. But Lusk has also charted, like since the pandemic started, um, the shift from out of home, the restaurants, basically, industry basically being shut down or, well, not shut down, but limited with mainly drive through and carry out. And there was a shift. Um, the shift, to, of course, that dropped drastically consumption, but the in-home food uh, con purchasing consumption went up, but it didn't go up enough to offset what was lost in the restaurant. So it's still, still a net loss. Um, and so there's going to be some adjustment. He sees food prices, though. This was before, except for the pork thing, uh, food prices had went up, but they were leveling off. The food is out there. It's mainly is a problem of distribution. And with the pork, it's a problem now of processing. Right. We're getting a lot of um, news now that, uh, you know, the meat supply could could run out. Well, the pigs are out there and the beef's out there. I know that. I see them. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, you're, you've been out in the country, socially distant, I know, but still out in the country. What's it looking like out there and how's corn looking and where are you in your process with planting? A lot of corn was planted really from uh, from what I can have heard and can tell. If you draw a line, basis southern uh, from Washington, Indiana, which is southwest Indiana, all the way down through Kentucky, most of the corn was in the ground over a week ago, and some of the soybeans too, and quite a bit up the uh, western side of Indiana has been planted, less planted in the eastern, southeast and the eastern side, although they did get a lot of field work um, done as far as fertilizer spread, burn down, so we shouldn't be in the problem we were a year ago with weeds taking over fields, uh, at least not as much. Um, even if it continues raining here for a few few uh, days, which it's wet right now, but the problem is the soils were cold, and uh, I haven't I haven't seen any corn up yet. I've heard of some up. Um, we were able to get um, we have a 
I have a plot at Purdue at the Throckmorton Farm. We do research with with Bob Nielsen. We were able to get that planted on April 21st. Went ahead and uh, they were working pretty heavy and we were able to get it in. So it's a harvest study. So we wanted to get it in. There's going to be uh, it and one other study, really the only ones that have been planted there. There's going to be less research studies, at least in Indiana, because Purdue is so tight on their restrictions because of COVID that there's just some research not going to happen. Yeah, I've had this conversation in the South a couple of weeks ago in the podcast with Brad Hare. Uh, at University of Georgia has very strict requirements. They are going to be able to do it. But yeah, if you're a grad student, this is going to set you back. I know this is a devastating uh, issue for a lot of them. With your test plot with Bob Nielsen at Throckmorton, what are you hoping to achieve with the harvest? What are you thinking of measuring? Um, this is actually our second year. Uh, our goal is to measure uh, really two things. One is to go back and check for the invisible yield loss theory that some people believe if you let the corn dry down to 20% or less, you actually lose physical yield. It's It's been one of those been chased. Nielsen thinks it's real, but has never been able to prove it. The other thing is just how much harvest loss you get by leaving stuff in the field and if you get lodging. Um, found out last year, there's really not been much done on that in the last 20 years. Well, we, we haven't haven't actually published it yet because I'm holding it for guys who are thinking more about that. But after one year, we, we didn't find any invisible loss, but we uh, but we didn't get to harvest till the 23rd of October the first time, and it was about 25%. The last, uh, the third final harvest in early December, we did get uh, some, we didn't, we did get some yield uh, lodging loss, a small amount. But I guess we're trying to, Look at that again to see if maybe last year was an anomaly. And by getting the planted early, hopefully we'll have a better shot at getting the start um, at a higher moisture, maybe this fall, even early as late September, if the corn takes off here. And, and uh, we're confident that we'll get it up. We, we did plant a little bit heavier, counting for the cool soil. So we hopefully we get a decent stand. That sounds interesting because, I mean, you'd be measuring whether, and then you'd have to look at the economics, whether it's, it makes more sense to let it go to 25 or take it off at like 35 and dry it down, right? Yeah, that's the whole point. Only really we're looking more at like 25 to 28 and then okay. harvest again when it's like 2022 and then let it go till really probably it's down to 15, 16 if it gets that far. And uh, which last year it didn't get lower than 19. And then see, they're, they're <clears throat> at the end by leaving it. Uh, there definitely was a little drying in the last one. Uh, leaving it out there when it's late in the season just really doesn't, I think we're going to show, doesn't pay off. But also going to show with modern combines, if you do a good job of setting them, which this uh, farm crew is very meticulous, but you can really get losses down pretty low. But you, that, you've got to pay attention to the machine to do that. Um, not just everybody can maybe go out and, assume they're going to be that that successful you know there's some new tech on these combines that help you with that too the auto settings and the continuous changes of conditions and the combine going through the field so maybe that would help keep those harvest losses low you're getting rain in eastern indiana or you're getting rain across the state now this is thursday this is wednesday before we post the podcast what are you seeing it's rain pretty well widespread today there may be a few pockets that didn't aren't getting rain but Kind of been out of the field here in central Indiana since uh, the weekend. Several people are uh, were just 
Some people started planning here south of Indianapolis. Some were just waiting and ready to start. Um, thought it was still a little cool, but once it dries up now, I think everybody's ready to roll. The anhydrous is on if it's going to go on, and uh, a lot of uh, so I think they're ready to roll which is a big difference from last year. I think they were kind of ready to roll last year, but thought they had the luxury of time, and then suddenly there was no time. And this year they were going to be ready no matter what kind of time they had. That was the lesson maybe we took from 2019 into 2020. That's for sure. Well, Tom, it's been good to talk to you. Uh, sorry to hear about the meat plants. Um, I'm sure that'll all somehow shake itself out in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, and good news on the corn plots. We'll be looking forward to those um, research results, and we'll probably talk about them in a future edition of this podcast later in September and early October. Great to speak with you, sir. Uh, stay dry and stay healthy. Thank you, Willie. It's a pleasure. We'll, we'll be in touch. Thanks to Tom Beckman for that report. Holly Spangler's home office sits on the Illinois family farm, and as her readers know, it's a busy place. In our conversation, we discuss the impact of the closing of meat processing facilities, including a look ahead, and she shares some thoughts on some other issues impacting rural America. Holly, it's good to catch up with you. How are you guys doing down there? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, we are doing well. We've been rained out this week. We are technically in west central Illinois, um, just west of uh, Peoria, about an hour. But we had, we've kind of been one week on, one week off, you know, for the last let's say four weeks, you know, in terms of weather and being in the field. So as of, you know, end of April, we're feeling pretty good about where we're at. Well, that's good. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit before we get back to planting, because I mean, that's top of mind for a lot of people on top of everything else. Uh, the news is hitting pretty hard about plant closures, both for swine, beef and poultry, all three, I guess, not both. You guys are cow-calf operators. How do you look at that just from your position? I mean, it's not like you have cattle to sell right away, but what's the mood like from the people you talk to? What are you hearing? Yeah, you know, people are people are growing more concerned when you start looking at those um, slaughter numbers. And, 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 you know, for our perspective, we're cow-calf producers, right? So we are on the very tail end of calving, you know, we just have a straggler or two here and there at this point. Um, and then we will wean those calves in um, September, October-ish, and then we will background them and feed them until January, where we would typically sell them in a certified Angus beef sale at our local sale barn to a feeder who would finish them and then, you know, take them on to market from there. So we are not changing anything personally at this point. Um, we're, you know, we're in the entering into breeding season. So we're going to start preparing for those calves that'll, that'll come next winter, but we're not personally changing anything, but we are certainly um, worried about what's going to happen here. Right. So from your perspective, um, it's not an immediate thing, but it's weighing on your minds, right? I mean, that's another income chunk for you in January. It's something that kind of tied you over the winter. So you want to hope it sorts itself out. Yeah, absolutely. And what we want to see is, is feeders, you know, coming to the sale barn next winter to buy calves. And, and I don't know that they will, you know, when, when there's such a huge interruption in the market or, or, you know, maybe there's just one less. Right. So that's one fewer bidder. So maybe that's 20 cents less, um, which adds up. It feels like a long way off at this point, And hopefully there's a lot of correction between now and then. But certainly there are a lot of producers who are in a lot more imminent worry, you know, than we are. Right. You can you can hold cattle a little longer than you can pigs, which is part of this factoring into all of this. So good to know. I know you've written about the. I think it was uh, farmers farmers bend, but supply chains break. I think your your my generation column was quite perceptive about kind of the attitude that we have. 
You've done a lot in terms of um, mental health coverage over the last year and a half. We all have in different ways. What's your sense of the tone right now um, from what you're when you're talking to farmers and even in just your neighborhood? Yeah, you know, I think it depends if if that farmer is a livestock producer or not. You know, livestock people are a lot more worried. You know, those those poor guys with pigs who are looking at, you know, euthanizing animals or maybe not breeding back or aborting or whatever, like those are horrific decisions that nobody wants to make, right? And that, that's a lot of the point I was making in that column. Like, you know, this whole system's a lot more fragile than we wanted to think about, right? Because we raise so many sows who raise so many pigs who fill so many buildings and you interrupt that flow and it just really uh, ripples all the way down. But in terms of mental health, you know, among the, you know, those who are, you know, grain farming and, you know, sunshine helps us all, right? Like to be out in the field and be doing something um, productive is helpful. But there's also a sense, you know, there's there's absolutely nothing in this market that tells us we should be planting, right? So, <laughs> nope, there isn't. <laughs> you kind of look around at, you know, I talked to a farmer a couple of weeks ago. He's like, what are we doing? <laughs> should right. we be doing this? But we're doing it out of either force of habit or because we've already, you know, invested in the the fertilizer and the, you know, and the seed and everything else. But I think it kind of comes back to that. Well, we, we do it because we do it and we're going to hope for the best. Right. And I think that's the, the secret of ag- the secret of American agriculture is hoping for the best. I think that's what keeps us going. And you're right. We already bought the seed. We already laid in the fertilizer. We might as well run. Right. 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 So right. luckily diesel's cheaper. So that helps a little bit on the, the attitude. So you guys have been week on week off. Do mm-hmm. something for me. Compare this year to last year. What's April of 2020 looking like as we end April? And we're doing this this conversation on the 30th of April. What does this feel like today versus how you felt 30th of April 2019? Sure. Well, you know, 30th of April 2019, we were a little worried, but not as worried as we would become. You know, at that point, I think we had planted, I think we had maybe got in three or four days around the 22nd or 23rd of April. And so we were feeling okay, a little behind, but okay. You know, it still felt like the weather could turn then, but then it didn't, you know. <laughs> no, it didn't. A lot worse. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, last year we were like a week on, a month off, a week on, well, not even a week, a day or two, then a month yeah. off. I mean, it was just unreal amounts of waiting for the rain to stop and it just didn't you know so this year to be able to say okay well we've got three-fourths of our beans planted as of you know april 30th that feels good um and frankly nathan my son's done most of that (laughs) he's living living his best life yeah Yeah. (laughs) and we've got enough corn done that john's feeling good about that too so so that's good. Um, it's, you know, it's rained here pretty well all week, but we do, it does look like it's going to turn. So we, we are optimistic about getting back in. You know, I have a farmer friend up in Northern uh, Illinois near Dwight, which is uh, Southwest of Chicago. And I believe his tweet the other day was they finished 3000 acres of corn in five days in five counties. So it'd been drier up North. Um, sure. They were going like gangbusters. They have two 24 row planters. And I think one of them's a 10 mile an hour planter and they were moving at breakneck speed and all i could think to myself was i did not want to be your tender supporter for that (laughs) operation right for sure for sure yeah that's a lot to keep up with so as we go forward we're all kind of in tender hooks here a little bit about what's going to happen but you are in a state uh, where uh, the governor's been sued by small (laughs) businesses downstate illinois is kind of wondering what next 
how's the attitude about that, about opening back up? I mean, we're in agriculture, so we are outside. We are social distancing by nature, but we kind of would like to get some stuff done. Right, right. Yeah, we have had two state representatives who sued the governor, one from um, southern Illinois, not far from where I grew up, actually, and then another from uh, northern Illinois, but certainly outside of Chicago, you know, who have said, we don't we don't think this is constitutional, and, and um, that's going to go back and forth in the courts for a while. There's a strong, strong sentiment downstate, and, and by downstate in Illinois, that means anything outside of Chicago, that, um, you know, perhaps we should start opening things up here at least a little bit, right, with some with some precautions, you know, maybe open restaurants, but limit the number of people who are in there or, you know, require some masks if we're I mean, we, we and we do have to wear masks starting tomorrow, actually. But just just to kind of gradually open this up and see, because the other problem we're going to we're having is our rural hospitals. So we found a district hospital, which would be a close one to us here in Macomb. They had to furlough 70 workers a couple weeks ago because, you know, we've had this statewide edict. You have to, you know, know uh, non-emergency procedures. Okay. So, you know, so that we could prepare for for COVID patients, but there haven't been very many, right? So now these hospitals are kind of sitting there, you know, twiddling their thumbs thinking, well, you know, just losing money um, hand over fist. So, that's not good, you know, for, for, for a rural healthcare system that is probably equally fragile, you know, in terms of um, comparison to what we were talking about earlier with the food chain. So those are things that we're concerned about, you know, and, and our and our friends in town that run small businesses. You know, we we would like them to be around when this is over. And this is hard. You know, you can't just shut down a business for two months and expect it to open back up like, you know, nothing had happened. That's we were, And we were already worried about the vitality of rural communities anyway. Um, right. This is just a hammer blow to that. Backing up on the hospitals, the uh, concept and the challenge there is that this non-elective surgery, that's like 75% of the income for a hospital is right. elective surgeries. Or, you know, and, and and the other concern I have is who's not going to the hospital for mm-hmm. fear of COVID when they've got stroke symptoms, chest <laughs> pains, or, you know, things that really probably need attention. Right. I mean, you know how many times I've said to my kids, don't do that. We can't go to the ER right now. <laughs> in, in England, I believe it was, they banned bicycling because they wanted to reduce ER visits because, you know, you can't hurt yourself walking or running, but on a bicycle, you can do some serious damage, right? And right. so there were little things like that that you hear about. In Minnesota, at one point, the hospitals were losing $31 million a day, were uh, urban hospitals. They've, yeah. They furloughed a lot of people. So this healthcare impact is something that needs to be fixed. I think that they're going to open up for elective surgeries here soon in Minnesota. They're being the governor's being asked to our shelter in place here in Minnesota ends technically Monday. There's a press conference today at two o'clock. <laughs> mm-hmm. where we'll find out how that is. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm fine with six feet. I'm fine with social distancing. I'm fine wearing a mask. But it's like, um, how much more do we need to do? And I'm not going against what the governor's saying. I think that I just want rational conversation about this. The federal government's uh, distance uh, expires today, the 30th of April. It is not going to be renewed. So I think it's up to governors. And I think we should all be watching what's going on in Oklahoma and Georgia and those states that open up and say, see what's going on and and get, get some good reporting on that too. Right. Well, and I think there's a lot of looking around saying, okay, well, how is it okay that Walmart is open and you can go in and browse around and buy picture frames and anything, you know, um, but, you know, our local Ace Hardware you know, in downtown Bushnell can't be open that way. 
those are the things people are starting to look around and ask about. That's a fair question. And our luckily our ACE hardware is open, but I didn't want to, I went in one day and it was very uncomfortable. I went in for one thing and there were so many people in there I had to get out. So that's <laughs> that's well, that's part of the challenge, just the social yeah. distancing in a hardware store. But you could block people out, open the door, say there's only going to be three people at a time. We did that. Right. I went to a Home Depot and there was a line to get in. We were all six feet apart and they were only letting a few of us in at a time. So yeah. I think we can handle this and get what we need. Yeah. Roaming around Home Depot is not a smart idea. Just go on with that. <laughs> anyway, Holly, it's been good to talk to you. We'll keep up with what's going on around the country. Um, uh, we had a, we obviously I just came off a conversation with Tom Beckman to look at the Indiana uh, slaughter situation and also planting there and his test plots, which are fascinating. He's doing some interesting stuff on harvest uh, evaluation for this year. So that'll be fun. And uh, next up, we'll be talking to Tyler Harris about what's going on in Nebraska. Good to speak with you. Take care, stay safe and uh, hoping for a little dry weather again so that John has something to do. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Willie. I mentioned John, Holly's husband at the end there. Just a little shout out to John Spangler. Moving on. Nebraska is a big corn state. It's also home to major meat processing facilities and leadership that wants to get the state moving again. Let's check in with Tyler Harris at Nebraska Farmer to learn more. Tyler, good to catch up with you in Nebraska. Um, there's a lot going on out there. Uh, everything from your governor opening up the state except for one area we'll discuss, the meat packing business. And obviously, I want to know what it's like out there from the corn planting standpoint. But why don't we start with the big news uh, what's going on with the slaughter business in Nebraska from your perspective? I mean, you got some pretty big plants out there. Yeah, we do. Um, in fact, it would have been earlier this week on Tuesday, I believe, we had an announcement from uh, Smithfield and Crete, and I think it came about 8.30 in the morning that they were going to shut that plant down. Um, but then later in the day, the announcement came that they would be opening back up. In fact, we've seen some protests that happened yesterday um, among workers at the plant. And obviously, there's Hall County, where we've seen the highest number of COVID-19 cases and deaths. They have twice as many reported deaths as of about noon. The last count I took, they had about twice as many deaths um, due to COVID-19 as we have here in Douglas County in Omaha, which initially was the epicenter, at least. And, it, you know, the, uh, Hall County is the only part of the state that I can think of right now that the governor has not talked about easing directed health measurements in yet. We're looking at starting May 4th next week, um, opening up or easing up directed health measurements in three counties uh, in the Omaha area, Sarpy, Douglas, and Cass. And with that, I think there's still some social distancing guidelines that are going to be in place. For example, restaurants can't open, or they can open, but um, at 50% of rated uh of maximum, maximum occupancy and the 10 person rule is still going to apply. I think their uh, salons are going to open up again, but I, I believe 10, the 10 person rule of course is going to apply there. You know, I, I just read a, a New York times article. We are one of the few States that as of right now, the, the curve has not been flattened. And a lot of that comes from the increasing cases in cases in those uh, counties that have a, a large meat processor, Hall County, Dakota County, um, and Dawson County um, out in the south central part of the state. Yeah, those are those are challenging issues. The president has this week issued the order that those plants must reopen, and all the states are dealing with that. What's the mood of the producers? I mean, what are you getting from the, either the beef producers or the swine producers in Nebraska right now with all this uncertainty about these plants? Um, so the general feeling there is... One person worded it this way yesterday, and and I, 
I'd like to use a different word, but I, well, I guess I'll just say there's a lot of animosity. I, there's almost a kind of an attitude of hatred. And I think where that comes from, and, it, and it's such a difficult decision, right? Because you're looking at, you know, it, it's, you're, you can't slaughter at capacity because you're going to have to, you know, you've got to maintain as much social distancing as you possibly can. And you can't slaughter as many, as many head of animals as you would ideally like. So obviously what we're seeing is a ramp up in meat prices at the meat counter, but then uh, we're seeing a significant decline in, um, in, in feeder cattle prices, obviously, which, which is nothing new. Um, or the, the, I'm not telling you anything new. So you're saying the producers are directing that hatred at the Packers? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That figures. That's yeah. It, and, and one of the things that we're seeing, and I think we're seeing this across the Midwest, is that um, a lot of the small local meat processors are filling in a lot of the space that, you know, the larger processors have taken. And for a little while there, there was the question of, is, is that a viable option? But I mean, it's, it's you know, if, if you talk to any small local meat processor throughout the state of Nebraska, they're booked clear through to the end of the year in some cases. I mean, otherwise it's September, October, November. So I don't know how much, I, I that's something I would not say is an option for a lot of folks. I mean, Governor Ricketts made the comment two days ago. He said, somebody asked him, you know, is that is that something I can do? Is that that's some place I can take my hogs? And he said, you know, if, if you can find somebody who's not booked up till the end of the year, certainly. But, you know, from what I'm hearing, that's really not the case. So, yeah, there, this system and to remind the listeners, this meat processing system has gotten incredibly efficient, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. The point is that most of the hogs and the beef in this country are processed through a small number of plants. And, if you know, we're talking hog operations running 20,000 head a day. One of those goes down. There's not enough lockers out there, though. <laughs> so getting past that, we've got hatred at the Packers. We've got the, some open, some closed. I, I would also point out that the, the Packers themselves have a difficult decision to make. You know, if they are, since they are trying to watch out for the safety of their employees, you know, um, and th- but then, you know, we have a situation because it, it's, it's such a difficult issue. And, and I, I'm, you know, certainly glad I don't have to make the decision on that. But where we have a situation where we have employees who are walking out and protesting. And then we also have producers who have animosity towards the Packers right now because, you know, they're, they're faced with a situation where they are, they've got declining uh, beef and pork prices, but, you know, and they just don't have anywhere to go with it. So it's, um, it's, it's certainly, it's a really delicate situation right now. There, there's actually nobody who's winning in this conversation. As you said, no, you know, the, no. I wouldn't want to be in the head of uh, Smithfield, JBS, anybody's shoes on this because, they followed specific guidance too that kept changing and then it blew up on them. And then you've got workers and farmers. It's definitely not a situation we're going to get out of very soon. Um, and that, that is a concern. Let's talk about something a little more positive. How is planting 2020 shaping up versus planting 2019 in Nebraska? Planting 2020 is the, the common thread that I'm hearing and what I've seen um, throughout the state. And this is just on my, you know, drives between Lincoln and Omaha is that this is, these are some of the best planting conditions that we've had in, in several years. Um, we've had soil temperatures, you know, 57, 58, 59, in some cases over, you know, 60 or higher here the last few days. In a lot of cases, uh, earlier this week, we were at probably about 
in, in a number of counties in eastern Nebraska, about 60, 70 percent of, of uh, corn acres planted. So that's that's been a real positive. I mean, and, and you know, if nothing else, really, it, it's, it provides, I think, a sense of normalcy to a year that is otherwise uh, completely abnormal. And certainly compared to last year, right, where we had a lot of delays because of the flooding situation. If anything, we could use a little bit of, you know, a half inch of rain here or there to activate some of the herbicides or incorporate some of the fertilizer that's been applied. You know, it, uh, for the most part, in eastern Nebraska, a lot of people are applying anhydrous, so that's not going to be as much of an issue. But um, there are some of those places, you know, I, I think kind of around the Platte County and then around south central Nebraska where, um, yeah, it, it, that's not so much the case. Um, the interesting thing is in certain parts of southeast Nebraska, we've seen, and, and this is um, kind of a trend that's been going on here probably over the last 5, 10, 15 years, is we're, we're starting to see a number of producers that are planting soybeans at the same time or even before corn growers. So, you know, it, I would say definitely like in York and Seward County, there are, there are some people that are about halfway done planting soybeans. So, and, and that's just something that we've seen through extension research over time that, you know, you have more to gain by planting soybeans early uh, than you do by planting corn. Now, that said, we had, um, I, I want to say there was somebody down in Cass County here who had their corn planted on March 26th, I want to say. They had about 1,200 acres of corn planted by uh, the end of the first week of April. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, and they're, they're a bigger grower, but, you know, a lot of progress has been made here just in the last week. And I think, I, I mean, I would argue that a lot of it has to do with the fact that 2019 was such a crazy year that a lot of people have in the back of their minds that we really didn't have a good window last year. So now that we do have a window, we're going to jump on it and get it planted. Of course, everybody's different. You know, we've got some people who, you know, they, they don't want to start planting until May 5th and that's when they're going to start. So it, it's, it just, you know, it depends on the person, but I would say overall, we're probably around that in Eastern Nebraska and in parts of Southwest Nebraska, we're probably pushing that 60%, 70% range in terms of getting corn, corn in the ground. It's like two totally different years. I mean, obviously the great yeah. news is we got the corn in, on April 20th, I think, at the farm at the Husker Harvest Days site, April 21st at the Farm Progress Show site. But over in, in Grand Island, um, Jason Libby was able to get the corn in in a timely fashion. It was a little windy and a little cold, but the crop is in, and now we're just waiting for it, how it's going to come up, and things are going to go well. A little warmth like you've had is going to make a big difference. And that is an irrigated field, so yep. we'll be able to put the water on that we need to do to activate everything. But yeah, it's definitely. I just, if I look at it, I think I was talking to somebody um, uh, recently, and you, know, you ask them what what this is like versus last year, and they kind of say to you, "Well, I kind of blanked last year, and I don't even want to talk." You know, I don't want to talk about last year. I just want to talk about this year. And yeah, and and it's interesting because there are so many different. I mean, I've talked to people this year who are, it, it, it's, everybody's approach is going to be different, obviously. I'm not telling you anything new, but there are some folks, obviously, that would point out that if we really want to, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to boost profitability by cutting inputs and we're going to push to get every bushel out of that acre that we possibly can. And then there are some that are really working on um, trimming their inputs and, uh, and I, I don't, and I wouldn't say just trimming it to the point of cutting yield, but working on doing it as efficiently as they possibly can. But yeah, it's, it's just been, it, it's been great, honestly, because that's been the one positive thing, arguably that we could, we've seen so far this year is the wonderful planning conditions that we've had uh, with probably the exception of, I want to say April 16th or 17th, where we had six or seven inches of snow. I think there was a cutoff a little bit West of Grand Island, but I think the soil conditions, the last time I talked to Jason Libby, he mentioned that dropped down to, I think about 38 
degrees overnight. But I, you know, I really don't think that was an issue. I, the, the one issue I would see with those, with those folks who are out there planting soybeans a little earlier that if they would have had some cold water, you know, that might've had some issues with imbibition right then. But as long as they got it in the ground and there was, a, was a full 24 to 36 hours where it wasn't freezing i think they would have been fine so i think on the whole they're going to come out pretty good this will be the year though where a lot of guys will look at how they spoon feed how they manage inputs very very tightly some of this new technology that's available from different companies to not only um put the crop in do in season changes but also in season measurement and what that might mean too definitely so yeah absolutely well good uh tyler it's been great talking to you we've been talking with tyler harris who's the editor of nebraska farmer and also produces his own podcast down in the weeds which you should look up on apple podcast or your favorite podcast player uh good to speak with you sir stay out of trouble stay safe stay distant but keep following what's going on in nebraska great to hear from you willie Thank you to Tom Beckman of Indiana Prairie Farmer, Holly Spangler of Prairie Farmer in Illinois, and Tyler Harris of Nebraska Farmer for being a part of this week's podcast. Your insights help paint a fuller picture of just what's happening these crazy days where coronavirus has taken over the news. The entire Farm Progress team is covering the COVID-19 issue from across the country with local insights into what's happening and constructive ideas on actions producers can take to protect themselves and their businesses. That information is starting to appear in our magazines, but you can also find our coverage by visiting farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. Again, farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. This site section is constantly being updated. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs. And of course, the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.